This is Made to Conquer, a podcast designed to inspire you to have a deep relationship with Jesus. Jesus told us to make every effort to enter through the narrow door so that when we stand before him, we hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Hello, everyone. This is Tiana Showy, and welcome to the podcast Made to Conquer. Thank you guys for tuning in. I have double checked and I am using <laughs> proper audio this time. I am so sorry about the last episode and how terrible that audio quality was. That was so embarrassing. Now, here's the truth of the situation. I don't completely want to divulge everything that day, but I had eaten something that disagreed with me, which is not uncommon because I have a very sensitive stomach. And so I was so sick while I was recording that podcast. And when I got done and I heard the audio, typically I would not let audio of that quality go out, but I knew that there was no way between the time that I realized my mistake until the next day that I was going to be able to, uh, feel well enough to do a better job recording it. And so I had to, I had to say, okay, what's worse or what's more important, the content quality or the sound quality. And I had to go with the content quality. So I apologize for that. And thank you guys for being here again and looking over my faux pas. We're all human, right? <laughs> well, thank you guys so much again for tuning in. It is just such a blessing and an honor and a privilege to share this time with you. Uh, you know, I do this for one reason, one reason alone. Jesus has radically changed my life. He is the King of my heart, the Lord of Lords, the one seated on high. In fact, I just, I just bought a poster with the names, names of God. And it's just so beautiful. I've just been taking it in and soaking it in and I'm going to hang it on my wall here and in all the different ways that God describes himself, God, our shepherd, the I am it's, it's just absolutely beautiful. And that is who he is to me. He is everything. He is, he is what my soul longs for. He is the one that has redeemed me and brought me back. And I am so grateful for the opportunity to give him my life and allow allow him to work through me. So that's why I do this. I do this because I want to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. I want to encourage you to step into everything that God has for you and to know him. And so let's jump in to this podcast. Uh, but first, I would like to just pray and ask the Lord to lead this time, lead this conversation. And so let's do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you that you gave us the gift of your word. Father, that we are fortunate enough, those of us that are hearing this, to have the word of God available at our hands. Lord, I just want to lift up the members of our body, our brothers and sisters throughout the world right now, Lord, that are facing persecution. Maybe the persecution is severe as physical torture, imprisonment, isolation, whatever form that looks like. Holy Spirit, I just ask that right now that you would be their comforter. Father, that your precious word, that though they may not have it at their fingertips, Father, by your Holy Spirit, you can minister your truth and your hope and your love to them. And I just ask that you would be with them right now. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I just ask that we would not take it for granted. Lord, that we would not forget to seek you daily and to find you in your word and to allow this to become our manna, our daily sustenance. And so Jesus, I just give this time to you. I give this podcast to you. I give my life to you. And I just ask that, Father, that I would be led by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that as Peter says, anybody who speaks, let them speak with the very words that God provides, Lord, so that Jesus may be praised. This is all about you, Jesus. Father, we just love you and we invite you into this time. 
Lord, may we have ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us wisdom. And we just pray this in your precious name. Amen. So today, you know, as I said before, I'm just sharing with you my journey of faith. I'm not a Bible teacher. I'm a Bible encourager. I want to encourage you in your faith. And I listen to a lot of Bible studies throughout the week. Um, I like Alistair Begg a lot. And I also like to go back and listen to Pastor Chuck Smith, who was the founder of Calvary Chapel. And I just love to listen to his stuff. And so I've listened to several Bible studies. And one that, that came up this week was the book of Ruth. And the Lord really spoke to me through the book of Ruth. And I just want to share with you the journey that he brought me through this week. Now, what's fascinating is we're going to go through the book of Ruth, but we're really going to, we're really here to talk about King David, (laughs) but we're just going to take the long way there, which if you've ever listened to my podcast, you know, I have a tendency to take the long way there anyway. (laughs) And the real story that I want to get to now, King David, oh my gosh, I get goosebumps thinking about him, right? Just so many amazing stories in the Bible, but the story that I want to highlight today. And the the reason we're going to go through the book of Ruth is because it it leads us to a story that I think we as as believers in today's world need to hear. And here's why. So I'm going to quickly turn to the book of Revelation chapter one. Now, I last night was asked by uh, somebody on TikTok to do a live session and just go through Revelation chapter two and chapter three. And to start that off, I started by reading this scripture from Revelation chapter one, and it says this, verse three, blessed is the one who reads out loud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Jesus also closes the book of Revelation talking about, you know, the the new heaven and the new earth. And he says in chapter 22, Verse 20, he who testifies these things says, yes, I am coming soon. There are so many things happening in our world right now that are the things that Jesus told us to start paying attention to as the end would come. He said, he said, nation would rise against nation, but the, but the end will not come immediately when that happens. And if you look at human history, even though those of us who have just a one generational perspective might not feel like we've had a lot of wars, go back and look at in, in the last century, how many wars we have had. Okay. Uh, Just, just in the last two centuries. All right. We've got the revolutionary war, the civil war, world war one, world war two, Vietnam, um, the Korean War, <laughs> Desert Storm. We nation has risen against nation. We have been in this continual state of war for for the past two hundred years, and now things are getting even more interesting. As I'm speaking this right now, we have Lebanon, which is collapsing as we speak. Iran is having all kinds of infrastructure issues. They've been hacked. There, there, there are fires. Iraq is beginning to go through a collapse. Afghanistan has been attacking U.S. bases. South Africa has major rioting and burning. Cuba has major rioting. Now, you got to take this in the perspective of the worldview. There, there have always been issues in the world. There have always been things. But I'm seeing the temperature change. Now, I saw a, a news story on CBS that there was a 
I, I, I know I'm going to describe this incorrectly. So, but, but, you know, this was, this came from CBS. So this is not like weird right wing conspiracy. I'm not saying that, by the way, I necessarily trust this source. And um, that's not what I'm promoting, but I'm promoting that this is mainstream information that the moon, that NASA saw that the moon wavered a little bit. And as a result, we're going to be having some flooding issues. And we know that Germany is currently experiencing great flooding. Jesus told us that these were going to be the signs at the time. So I'm not saying that the, the tribulation is going to start tomorrow, but, but the Bible says that it was soon. 2,000 years ago, the word soon were used. And so if it's 200 or 300 years from now, or if it's 10 days from now, or if it's a year from now, either way, it is soon. And so as Christians, as believers, I think it's closer than a few hundred years away. And there's a lot of reasons why I say that, but I'm not here to talk about the end times. I'm here to say that we need to be like King David was when he stood against Goliath. And so just quickly to examine that story, because we're here to talk about Ruth leading into this, the armies of Israel are shaking in their boots, standing across from Goliath. Now let's just get a little bit of history and we're going to dive right into this in the book of Ruth, but I want to set the stage. I like to go through the biblical history because I think it gives perspective. So we've talked about this before. We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Joseph gets sent as a slave to Israel. Eventually, he becomes a rule of Israel. Jacob moves with his brothers to Israel for 400 years, excuse me, to Egypt. For 400 years, the Israelites become slaves of Egypt. God delivers them using Moses and Aaron. And then we have the story of Joshua. Joshua takes over after the Israelites were disobedient in the story of Numbers chapter 13 and 14, where they didn't believe that God was going to give them the promised land. So just Joshua and Caleb from that generation make it into the promised land. And so after Joshua gets the people into the promised land, we now have the time of judges. And the judges are who the people, who who is ruling the people at the time. And so we have the whole book of judges in there. Now, what's interesting about the, the book of judges is it says that even in spite of having the judges, people were doing what was right in their own eyes. Judges chapter 17 talks about the fact that there's still chaos and disorder. And so after this period of judges, they start begging the Lord for a king. We want to, we want a king. And what's interesting is God changed Jacob's name. Jacob means clasping the heel because when Jacob was born, he was clasping Esau's heel to Israel, which means governed by God. And so God's intention in his plan always was that the people were not going to be ruled by a king, but ruled by him. And in spite of this, you know, after, after judge, after judge, after judge, the people say, we want a king. And so then Samuel, the prophet shows up. We have an amazing story of Samuel's mother, a barren woman pleading for the Lord to give her a son. And he gives her Samuel. And so the Lord tells Samuel to go anoint Saul as king and Saul disobeys God. And so God says, okay, it's time for me to raise up a new king, a man after my own heart. And here's where we have a little shepherd boy who sings and make music, but vehemently defends his flock. And we know this because he, he tells us a story of killing a bear and a lion with his bare hands. And he, he walks up to his brothers who are in the army of Israel, and he stands, and it says that the, the people standing there across from Goliath, that the, the soldiers of Israel are shaking so much so that you can hear the clattering of their armor as the Philistine, Goliath, is standing across from them, shouting at them, and, and defaming the name of the Lord. Now, what's interesting, I've heard this, and I've not researched this, so this is not a verifiable fact. But I have heard a Bible teacher say that 
if you were to talk to somebody who was well educated in the he- in the Hebrew, they would have clearly said that the number of Goliath was six 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 because that was that was a common understanding that that was the the mark of of Goliath. And, and so what we know, what's interesting about what the Bible tells us is that the spirit of the Antichrist has always been in the world. And then there will be the rising of what Daniel calls the abomination that causes desolation. That is the Antichrist who sets himself up in the temple and declares that he is God. So that is, we have the spirit of this creature, the abomination that causes desolation that has been in the world. And I don't believe it's a far stretch to say that Goliath is an example of that spirit, not the Antichrist. That's not what I'm saying, but, but an example of the spirit of the Antichrist. And so we can see this picture in this story with David and Goliath, where you have this big, powerful being that we know is part Nephilim. Now, what is key about that? The Nephilim, if you go to Genesis chapter six, were fallen angels who had bred with human beings and created a hybrid between angels and humans, and they were considered the giants of the land. This is not weird mythology. This is 100% in the scripture. And so we know that Goliath was a descendant of this. So we see this spirit of the Antichrist in Goliath mocking the armies of Israel and all of Israel standing there shaking, including Saul the king, and a little ruddy shepherd boy shows up and says, wait, what? And he fearlessly fearlessly puts five stones in his pockets, runs up and looks at this giant and says, I'm going to cut your head off. And the reason that this story is so relevant to where we are today is we are living in a world where the spirit of the Antichrist is as loud and as boisterous as Goliath was talking down to the Christians. You, you hateful, mindless, stupid, reckless, bigots. You are nothing other than uneducated, closed-minded pigs. Now, I'm not saying this is 100% everywhere, but this is a message that is being taught, and this is a mindset that is now beginning to dominate in mainstream culture in this world. All you have to do is turn on a movie these days, listen to a secular song. There is so much of the messaging that Goliath was speaking against the armies of Israel that has become mainstream conversation in this country. Now, what's fascinating is I was having a conversation with somebody who was not a believer, and they said, oh my gosh, it's so hard not to be a Christian in the United States because this is such a Christian nation. And I believe that that was the case for many, many years. But now, as we are seeing the rise of these demonic things, the teaching of sexual immorality, the reintroduction of idol worship, as we are seeing these things beginning to resurface, Molech, in God, Molech is the God of, um, that is an Old Testament uh, God, and I, it's a demonic spirit that you know was used to sacrifice babies on when we when we see 63 million aborted babies when we see this stuff now mainstream on disney plus is sexual immorality that we're teaching to children you guys the the same spirit the spirit of the antichrist that that was speaking through goliath is alive and well in our culture and we know because of the story of the book of revelation that it's just going to get worse paul told timothy this in second timothy he said in the last days People will become more and more evil. They will become lovers of themselves, boisterous, hateful, disobedient, slanderers. And so not only are we going to have this increase in secularism, but then we're going to have this deception that's happening amongst the religious slash biblical crowd where it says that people are going to hate the truth so much that they're going to surround themselves with teachers that will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. So we will have all these false teachings that are going to start showing up and leading people astray. And these exist 
in unbelievable amounts today. You can go online and you can find somebody who will tell you that Jesus is not God, which is a false teaching. You can go online and you can find somebody who will tell you that the Bible is not the inerrant word of God and that it is not self-sufficient and that it is not the holy word of God. You can go on and you can find people that will tell you that homosexuality is not something that God condemns when it is not, not only is it just a little bit clear, it's abundantly clear that homosexuality falls into the, the category of sexual immorality. This does not mean hate, hate or bigotry. None of those things. What does Romans tell us? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And here's the problem I have with the homosexual movement. We are putting it in front of children. We have created a Disney film called Out. We have books in our libraries where we are teaching children this sexual immorality. I am not against homosexuals as people. I am against the practice of homosexuality in that it separates people from God, just as much as I am against any other sex, any other sin that separates people from God. Because because I can tell you this much, there is nothing better than life in Christ. And when we are dead in our sin, we do not know how much we are missing out on. And so this is not a hateful speech. This is a call to those who do not know the loving grace of Jesus Christ because they have been lied to and deceived by their sin. And so we are living in a day and age where Goliath is standing at and he is screaming at us and it's just going to get worse. I'm not saying this to be a, a, na- a doomsday person at all. Because what does God do in the face of Goliath? He sends a little ruddy shepherd boy and he cuts his head off. At the end of the day, Jesus is victorious. We are not warring for victory, my friends. We are warring from victory. God wins. We, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of peace, patience, and of a sound mind. Greater is he that, in, that is in us than he that is in the world. And what this calls for is courage. And what's amazing is if you read the book of Revelation, when it talks about those who will not inherit the kingdom of God, the adulterers, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and the cowards do not inherit the, word, the, the kingdom of God. Who was it that became king? Who was it that got to marry the king's daughter as a result of saying, no, my God is with me, David. And so I say this to encourage all of you, your God is with you. He is stronger than the things we are facing. And he is going to ask us to do what David did. He is going to ask us to, by his leading, with faith, stand up against the spirit of the Antichrist, stand up against these things that are occurring in our culture and say, no, God's way is better. God's way is higher. In God, there's truth. There's life. There's peace. There's patience. There's kindness. There's goodness. There's joy. There's protection. There's only one way to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and his name is Jesus. And we are going to have to learn how to stand in this. This is my heart. This is my passion is to, is to help encourage this generation of believers to be strong in the Lord to be strong in your faith, to know God's word so that when the enemy comes against you, you stand strong in his word. That when he lies to you, you look at him and say, no, I'm going to cut off your head by the end of the day. Now I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about literally saying those words to Satan, but I'm saying knowing that, that God wins. It was David led by the Holy spirit that allowed him to win that battle. So how do we get to Ruth from there? Well, the question I have to ask is, where does a David come from? (laughs) Well, we're about to see where David comes from through a little Gentile woman that God decides to use to shape the course of history. And so if you will turn with me to the book of Ruth chapter one. Now, I want to sit here and read through all four chapters of this, but because I also don't want you to have to sit and listen to me for the next three days, (laughs) we're going to kind of skim over the highlights, but let's get 
Let's get a reference for what's going on here. Now, book of Judges, as I mentioned before, everybody is doing right in their own eyes. There's chaos. All right. Things are not fantastic under the judges. And so it starts off in, in Ruth chapter one, verse one, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So things are not going as well as they should. A man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. So what we have a story here of is we have a story of a husband and wife and their two sons who say, you know what? We're not getting food here. We're going to go to Moab and go get food. Now, a couple things happen when they're in Moab. When we skip down to verse four, it says the two sons married Moabite women. And so if you, if you know the story, they're not supposed to be intermarrying. <laughs> and so not only do we have the story of them leaving the promised land, leaving the provision of God, going into the world to meet their needs, but then they also intermingle and intermarry with the world. And after years, they had lived there about 10 years, both the husband and the two sons die. And so now all that's living is Naomi, Orpha, and Ruth, the three women, the mother and the two daughters-in-law. And so as we go through in verse six, we hear Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home. So they go to Moab and they find out that God's actually doing better things with his own people. By the way, this is why, unless God says, like he said to Joseph and Mary, go to Egypt for a little while. When God says to stand firm, stand firm, because the consequences of them leaving the land of Israel and going to Moab included dying death. It was not a good, it did not work out well for them. And so Naomi with her two daughter-in-laws left the place she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Now at this point, Naomi says to her daughter-in-laws, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Now this goes on three times, three times Naomi urges the, the women to go back home and Orpha goes home. Now this is fascinating because here I, I'm going to, I'm going to introduce you guys into a, a really, we're going to go deep in this. Okay. We are the bride of Christ. Jesus said, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. Three. And, and, and where, where do we have an example of somebody who turned and looked back? Lot's wife. When God decided to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for what? For the, for the, wickedness and the perverseness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what is the example that we are given to see that? The three angels came to go visit Lot and to take him out of there. And the men of the city surrounded the building, begging Lot to have sex with them. I'll, that's all I'm going to say about that. You, you know exactly what that means, okay? And so the angels strike these men with blindness, grab Lot and his wife and say, whatever you do, don't look back. And they go running out of Sodom and Gomorrah before they ca cause fire and, and brimstone to fall on Sodom and Gomorrah and completely destroy it. But Lot's life will look back and she became a pillar of salt. So Jesus is saying, once you have decided to follow me, you have to stay looking forward, staying with me. This is also uh, reiterated in Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. I've read this to you before. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And there are four instructions on how to guard your heart. And one of those is to keep your gaze directly before you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We see this also exemplified when the Israelites are traveling through the wilderness. They were, that they were led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They were to follow where the Lord was leading them. And so three times Naomi gives 
her daughter-in-law's the opportunity to turn back. The reason that this is so significant is that we are the bride of Christ. Jesus deserves a bride that truly means what she says. I have chosen to follow you. I am not going to be deterred. I am not going to be turned to the right or the left. I am not going to turn back to my sin, but I am yours and I am yours in everything. And this is exactly how Ruth answers Naomi after the third time that Naomi urges her to leave. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if death separates, even if death separates, if even death separates you and me. In other words, the only thing that can separate us is death. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. This heart right here of Ruth, this heart right here, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. This is the heart that God is looking for, for his church, for his bride. This is the heart that when Deuteronomy and Ezekiel says that God is going to take our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh, this is the heart of flesh that God's looking for. People who will say, I am not going, I am not going to turn away from you. You are my God. You are my King. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. You are the one who sits enthroned in heaven. And you have called me. You have redeemed me. You have washed me. And I am yours from this day forward. I will not look back and I will not look to the side. Do not depart from me. And and I will not turn from you. This is the kind of heart that creates a David. (laughs) And we're going to see this as we go through the story. Ruth's heart, her humility, and her service. And this is the great-grandmother of the woman who stood before Goliath and said no. (laughs) Excuse me, the man who stood before Goliath and said no, the little boy. So Ruth wasn't just choosing Naomi. She was rejecting the world. You see, she had a choice. She could turn and go back to her people, go back to the land without Yahweh, or she could turn and choose to follow Yahweh and to go to where he was. We have that same choice. We have that same choice when we decide to become born again believers. And we have that same choice when Jesus says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. We have that decision from moment by moment. Am I going to give into the flesh or am I going to follow Jesus? When temptation comes, am I, going to, am I going to resist the devil so that he flees from me or am I going to give into it and go back to the land that I came from? So the story continues on. Ruth is done. She's in. This is it. She is, she's going to stay with Naomi. And they get back home. And after they get back there, the people are like, whoa, is this Naomi? What's going on? And, and she says, you know, she's going to change her name to bitterness because, you know, it has been bitter with her. And then I love this. Ruth chapter two, verse two, let me go into the field and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. So a couple key things in this. First of all, God is so good that he created a provision for the poor in society. And this is laid out in the Levitical law that when they were gathering that they were that the poor were allowed to come behind and gather what had fallen. And so there's this beautiful story of God's provision over over the poor continually and we're going to see this continually throughout the scripture. God says take care of the poor, take care of the widow, take care of the needy. This is a continual 
continual message throughout the scripture. But here's what I love. Naomi, excuse me, Ruth on her own account goes and says, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go figure out how to feed us. Now, let's that this is the actual practical story. Let's look at the spiritual implication of this. Okay. So we have this spiritual implication of now Ruth has chosen to leave behind her old life, her, her, her godless life, the way of the world. And she's chosen to follow the God of Israel. The harvesting, the, the taking the initiative to go and harvest. I read from Charles Spurgeon, as I got his study Bible, that he sees this very similar, similarly to us being diligent in the things that God has asked us to be diligent in, which is the studying and reading of his word, prayer, worship, <laughs> living out our faith. When we say, you know what, Father, I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to spend time praying to you and I'm going to spend time in worship and I'm, gonna, I'm going to serve my body. If whatever gifts God has given you, use them to serve is what Peter tells us. And so our version of gleaning in the field, like Ruth did, of taking that initiative is being faithful with what God has given us. And I've talked about this before, and God gave you gifts, now go use them. And so Ruth takes this initiative. Look at the heart of this woman, okay? Humility, true desire, complete and total dedication to, to, to the Lord and to what she's doing. This is a story about Jesus and his church as much as it is about Ruth and Boaz. And what, again, what comes out of this is King David. And so Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she began and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. So as this is occurring, the owner of the, the field comes up and his name is Boaz. Now, does anybody know what the word Boaz means? Well, it means guardian redeemer. Who is our redeemer? Jesus. So again, this is a story. One of the things I love about the, New T- the, the Bible is that you will see Jesus all throughout the Bible. The Old Testament is filled with Jesus. Jesus fulfilled so many different stories in the Old Testament. Let me just give you an example of one, okay? The feeding of 4,000 and 5,000. Is that the first time that bread was multiplied and created to feed? No, there's several stories. Elijah and the widow. Her oil never ran out and her flour never ran out. Elisha actually did the same thing that Jesus did, broke bread and it multiplied and fed multiple people. So Jesus again is on, is in every story in the Old Testament. We can see him there because how do we know that? John tells us in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so we see this beautiful picture of a Messiah, our Messiah, our creator in this story, Boaz, the guardian redeemer. And so Boaz notices her and he says to the, he says to his workers, Hey, who's that woman? And they say, Oh yeah, that's uh, that's the daughter-in-law of Naomi. She's, she's um, the Moabitess who is now a widow. And so Boaz strolls up to her and says, Hey, stay in my field. I've told the men to leave you alone. You're welcome to have water. Let me be the one to take care of you. Ah, is this not so Jesus's heart for us? I want to take care of you. I want to provide for you. I want to be the one to watch out for your needs. I'm going to make sure you're well watered. I'm going to make sure you're well taken care of. And I'm going to make sure nobody harms you. This is the, this is the gospel story, which is why I love the book of Ruth so much. And so then what happens is Boaz says to the men in the field, leave some behind, drop some for her. So that's easier for her to do the work. Jesus does this all the time. We are called to endure. We are called to overcome. We, we, we are not going to get out of this life unscathed. We are not going to get out of this without it costing us something. This is just the biblical gospel message that when we choose to pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus, there's a cost associated with it. But 
He gives us his Holy Spirit. He makes it easier for us. He drops the grain for us so we can pick it up. It's just such a beautiful story of how God, God, yes, he's going to ask us to show up and fight the battle, but the battle belongs to the Lord. He's going to say, get up and harvest, but I'm going to drop some grain behind you and make it easy. And so after, after the day, you know, the day of working, she get, um, excuse me, Ruth gets some food. She takes the leftovers home to Naomi and brings home about 30 pounds of grain. Now this is a lot of grain. And as she walks in, Naomi goes, Whoa, girl. Girl, you got you found favor with somebody today. <laughs> and and Ruth says, Oh yeah, it was Boaz. And Naomi, knowing that Boaz is their is their guardian redeemer, says, The Lord has shown you favor. Stay with him. You see, when we respond to God like Ruth does, no, you are my God. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your rules will be my rules. Your ways will be my ways. This is how God blesses us. He sends us a Boaz. He gives us his Holy Spirit. The book of Psalms says he, he, he commands his angels to guard over us. And Paul even reiterates this and says, don't you understand that angels are ministering servants sent to, sent to take care of the people? And so we, we see this beautiful provision of God over our lives when we decide to do it his way. And so the story goes on. And Ruth is now under the protection of Boaz and things are going really well. So now we get to chapter three and now it is time for the harvest, the threshing. So this is the big kind of, this is the big fun. The men go into the threshing floor, they thresh the grain, they drink, they have all these great things. And Naomi, Naomi said to her, you know what? I think it's time to play matchmaker. (laughs) She says, my daughter, I got to find a home for you where you will be well provided for. So she says to Ruth, get dressed up, smell good. And go at the end of the celebration after Boaz has had a bunch to eat and drink and he's feeling good, uncover his feet and lay by his feet. And I love this verse five. Ruth says, I will do whatever you say. Do you realize how much easier our life would be if every time God asked us to do something, our response was, I will do whatever you say. Do you see this humility? You know, I talked about humility in one of my other episodes, and this is why humility is so important because when we aren't humble, God's got his way. He's going to do it. We can either do it in cooperation with him or he can he can he can mold us into the shape he wants us to as we go through that process. I'm doing the best now in my life to be as malleable as possible in my walk with the Lord. <laughs> and and just say, check in, am I am I resisting you? Where am I kicking against the goads? Where am I getting in your way, Holy Spirit? Please continue to conform me and shape me into your image. And so I will do whatever you say. May that be our hearts, right? This is the heart of Ruth. Think about this. She's dedicated. She's committed. She is humble. She is working hard. She is diligent about what she's been given to do. And she is obedient to what's been asked of her. And so she does exactly what Naomi says. She, she lays at Boaz's feet and she lifts up the, you, you know, uncovers his feet. And when he wakes up and he says, who are you? And she says, I'm Ruth. And she, and she basically says, spread your spread the corner of your garment over me since you are the guardian redeemer of our family. In other words, will you, will you, will you redeem us? And listen to what Boaz says to her. This is Ruth chapter three, verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter. He replied, this kindness is greater than that, which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. And so let's break this down a little bit because this is powerful. This kindness that you showed me, this kindness is greater than that which you showed me earlier. Now, one can infer from the text that Ruth was probably a beautiful woman. Why do I think that? Because Boaz notices her almost immediately. Who is that young woman? (laughs) We see that in chapter one, like very early on. Who's that? Or excuse me, chapter two. Who's that? 
who's this? So my assumption is she's very beautiful. And what he's saying is, wow, you, you could have asked, you could have married a younger man. You could have gone after somebody younger and you're here though. <laughs> this, I, I paused for a second because when, when we think about what our faith is going to cost us, what our faith does cost us. It does mean we don't run after the riches of this world. It does mean we don't run after the, the fleeting things of this world. It does mean that we make a choice to follow Jesus. Now, what's interesting is, although Boaz didn't obviously get younger after she got married, what she got in return for denying the flesh and denying the sparkle and the glitz and the glamour and all those things that would turn her aside is she became the mother of Obed. And we're going to talk about what that means in just a second. But she, she received so much more in blessing than she would have ever gotten by satisfying the desire to marry a younger man. And so, again, this is a glimpse and a foreshadow of whatever it costs us to follow Jesus, we will receive so much more on the other side of this. And this is why the parable of the treasure hidden in the field is so important because Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found an invaluable treasure in a field, meaning it was worth so much more than one can imagine. He hid it, sold everything he had. He literally, it cost him everything. 100% of everything he had, it cost him, but he went and bought that field because he understood what was buried in that field was had Far, much, far greater worth than anything it cost him to buy it. This is so true for our relationship with the Lord. When we sell everything for him, when we die to ourselves and we truly become his servants and we belong to him in mind, heart, soul, action, obedience, and everything that he asks of us, the treasure that we are buying, the eternity that we get, the presence in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords for all of eternity will far outshine anything we forfeit in this life. And so this is, we're seeing that symbolism here in this book. And so Boaz is thinking, saying, wow, you, you, you didn't have to choose me, but you did. And so he says, okay, but I'm not first in line to redeem you. So there's somebody else. So he calls the men of the city together and follows the traditional right for redeeming. Now, by the way, this whole process of redeeming, if you want to learn more about it, go read Leviticus chapter 25, verses 22, 25 through 55. In this, God lays out what this redeeming is. And essentially what it is, is it's, it's allowing the name of her, of her deceased husband to continue on. It's allowing that lineage because, because Naomi's husband and sons died there, that the family line died there. The guardian redeemer by marrying Ruth would then continue on that family name in his absence. And so you get not only the land that's associated with this because the land is passed down from family to family, but then you also inherit the widow. And in this case, it would be Ruth. And so Boaz gets the men of the city together and he says to the, the, the closest garden redeemer, the closest relative that had the right to redeem this, he says, oh, by the way, you know, this land is up for sale. Naomi's selling it. Do you want to redeem them? And he says, yeah. And then Boaz reminds him, but if you do that, then your inheritance becomes the inheritance of you inherit Ruth and it then follows in the lineage of her deceased husband. Again, reiterating that to God, every life is precious by the way. <laughs> and so, and that the lineage is passed down through the man. And so the, the redeemer says, eh, no, I'll pass. And Boaz immediately says, I'm going to redeem. And so he redeems the land. And now we have verse four, excuse me, chapter four, 
Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And then the story goes from Naomi being bitterness and sadness to being redeemed. And it says, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Your daughter-in-law who loves you. You know, it's interesting because in, in the book of Revelation chapter two, Jesus writes letters to the churches and to the church of Ephesus. He says, I see your deeds. I see the fact that you don't tolerate the false apostles. I see that you do now more than you've ever done, but I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Repent and see how far you have fallen. If you do not repent, I will come and I will remove your place without love. We have no place in God's kingdom. Jesus said, my disciples are known by their love. And what is so beautiful about the story is that Ruth's love for Naomi was ultimately what redeemed this situation. Ruth's love for the God of Israel is what redeemed the situation. And this is why Jesus says, the law and the prophets are summarized by these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is a story of love. Love, humility, endurance, and decision to follow Yahweh at all cost on behalf of a Gentile woman. And this Gentile woman gives birth to a son named Obed. And Obed has a son named Jesse. And Jesse has a son named David. And David is the only person in the Bible who God says, this is a man after my own heart. Now, where do you think that kind of character came into the family line? Came in through a little Moabitess woman who said, I, who said, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates us. Do you see the blessing that came through the life of somebody who chose to humble themselves, be obedient, chase after Jesus at all cost, and not turn to the right or to the left? Now, I'm going to Take it one step further. And we're going to go to the book of Matthew, if you will turn with me. I love this. Because this is such an important part of the story. Ruth not only became, Ruth not only became the great-grandmother of King David, but if you go to Matthew chapter 1, this is the lineage of Jesus. Okay. There are five women listed in this list because, because if you, if you understand how, G, how God set up structured lineage, it was always passed down through the men. Now I know that, um, in modern day rabbinic Judaism, they say it comes through the woman, but that's, that's rabbinic Judaism. In other words, it's derived from the teachings of the rabbis and not from the scripture, but scriptural Judaism came through the father, which makes sense because Jesus was Joseph was obviously the adopted father, but the Holy Spirit was, and God was his real father. And so it was so important for it to be God. But look at this. We have one, verse three, whose mother was Tamar. And then we come down and we see chapter one, verse five, whose mother was Rahab. And if you remember Rahab, she was a Gentile woman when the men were sent to go into the city of Jericho and spy on it. She hid the spies and she became a descendant of the Messiah. 
And then a few verses down, or a few lines down, we have Ruth, another Gentile woman. We have Bathsheba, who shows up David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And, and of course, they give honor to Uriah since Uriah had no say in the matter. <laughs> and then we come down and the fifth woman in the lineage of Jesus is Mary. Not only did Ruth, not only did that heart that she demonstrate, not only did God use that to shape the men who would eventually father King David, with whom God, God made so many promises to David, Never will you fail to have a descendant sitting on the throne of Israel. This is a man after my own heart. He conquered Goliath. He did so many things in his lifetime that because of the heart of Ruth, and not just because, you know, obviously God gets the glory, but we see that God used this Gentile woman to shape the king of Israel, who later would become the lineage of, the, of Jesus Christ. You guys, this is such a powerful and beautiful story, and it is such a reminder to us of why we cannot turn to the right or to the left, why we cannot put our hand to the plow and look back, why we have to have the same heart as Ruth to your God is my God, your people are my people. I am not turning to the right or to the left. I am in this no matter what the cost, and I will go out into the heat of the day, and I will, I will do the work it takes. I will read my Bible. I will pray. I will become a disciple of Jesus. I will give everything. And I will not chase after the world. I will be diligent in following Yahweh because, my, because we are going to be redeemed. We are redeemed. We are going to soon be taken home by Boaz, our guardian redeemer, Jesus Christ. This is such a beautiful story, and it's such a good reminder to us as to what faithfulness and what obedience to God looks like. Because later, that same obedience turned into a ready little shepherd boy who looked at the giant and said, uh-uh, not today. You guys, this is, this is the faith it's going to take to get through the times that are coming ahead. Whether the church is raptured or not, it doesn't change the fact that this is the call of God on our lives to set out and to be different. As a matter of fact, right now I'm wearing my t-shirt from the Chosen TV series, Get Used to Different. We have to be willing to, to swim against the tide. We have to be able to, willing to leave the world. We have to be willing to stand apart. We have to be willing to belong to God in everything. And then great will be our reward in heaven. You know why? You know how I know without a shadow of a doubt that it will be great because Jesus is our reward and there's nothing under heaven and our earth. Psalm 73. As a matter of fact, actually I have it on my watch. Whom have I in heaven, but you and earth has nothing I desire besides you. Psalm 73. The greatest prize, the greatest reward that we could possibly ever receive is Jesus. And if we, if we have the obedience, the humility, the dedication of Ruth, and we, we will be grafted in and brought into heaven like Ruth was grafted in this. There's so much symbolism here, and it's so beautiful. And I just wanted to encourage you in this. Stay the course. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Do not become weary in doing good. Pray that the Lord will give you ears to hear and eyes to see. And when the giants of the land start talking, remember what King David said. Nah, <laughs> the God of Israel has my back, <laughs> and he is faithful. And he is faithful. And, not, and Jesus said, not a single word, not a single letter from this word, from the Bible, will, will drop, will fall. Every single one of it will be fulfilled. The Lord does not delay in carrying out his promises, but he is merciful. And that is why he has not returned. And we are living in times where the signs are beginning to show. We are beginning to see the things that Jesus told us to watch out for. Never in, 
has there been a time where it's been more important for us to not to not dismiss the words in Revelation chapter two and three, to not become lukewarm, to not be dead, but think we are alive, to not have idolatry and sexual immorality in our lives. We cannot afford these things. People's lives are at stake. Our Savior died to give us the Holy Spirit so we could endure these things, so we could have the boldness of David. And I just want to encourage you in that and remind you whom we serve. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the story of Ruth, of you taking a Gentile woman, a woman who didn't belong in your kingdom, but because she had a heart after you, Lord, you said, you belong in my family, and I'm going to graft you in, and this is what you tell us in the book of of Romans. We are grafted into your promise, and we thank you for that. We thank you that you gave your promise to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Lord, may we be faithful like Ruth with that, and Lord, may may the byproduct of that be King David's. Lord, we give you all these things happening in our world, Father. We, we just lift up the sexual immorality. We lift up the idolatry, Father. Just show us in our lives where we've allowed these things to come into our hearts and minds. Show us where we've become cowards. Show us where we have become lukewarm or where we are dead. Lord, please do not leave us. Please do not leave us. But Father, by your Holy Spirit, give us the wisdom and the strength and through the knowledge of your word to walk faithfully in who you are and what you have for us. Jesus, we love you so much, and we thank you for this beautiful word, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit and all that you gave us on the cross. Lord Jesus, our heart's desire is just to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord, and please show us what what must happen for us to hear those words. Lord, we love you, and we just rest in your grace, and we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you guys for tuning in. Until next time, let's be praying. Let's be seeking Jesus. Have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Made to Conquer. Please be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends and family, anyone else you think would enjoy joining us on this journey of drawing closer to Jesus.